let's open our Bibles to Psalm 42. And the Psalms is right, about, right in the middle of your Bible. So if you, if you look there, Psalm 42. Such a wonderful uh, word here from the Lord. Such a wonderful uh, display of the humanity of God's people and the things that we struggle with. It's just really wonderful that the Bible is honest about its people and um, about the struggles that we face. I'd like to read the entire psalm and then we'll come back and, and uh, kind of take it apart piece by piece. Um, very well-known opening lines here. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept the pilgrim feast. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Misar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Let me pray for us. Thank you so much, Father, for this psalm and, and what it means to us, what it can mean to us, what it can bring to us, Lord, regarding help and, and how to recalibrate life. Thank you for what it's meant to, to untold multitudes of your people, God who have struggled in the same way as the author struggled, Lord. Father, I pray and we pray together for any who are cast down this morning in this room. And maybe being cast down has become the new normal for them. We pray that they would be free to that today, God. Or that that process of being free from it would start today. So we, we pray you speak to us, Lord, and enlighten us and, and help us to, to believe these things and to apply them to our lives. Thank you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I entitled the, the message, When God Seems Far Away, and that's certainly part of it, but there's two or three titles that it could have been given. It could have also been uh, entitled, How to Deal with Spiritual Depression. And the, the author here is cast down. Those are the words that he uses, and we'll, we'll settle on a definition for that in a while. So this psalm is very much about people that are struggling people who are followers of God, believers of Jesus Christ, um, and yet down in the dumps, in the blues, uh, opposition, things that you feel are unraveling you, 
from any, any number of uh, directions. Let's kind of go through our notes here. We, we, we need to remember the setting and understand the setting. And to understand, these are real people in, in a real time and a real place. The author here, um, it's called uh, A Contemplation of the Sons of Korah. So King David was, was called the sweet psalmist of Israel, but he didn't write all of the psalms. And, and so these sons of Korah were a priestly line that served at the temple in Jerusalem. And so um, I might accidentally say David this or David that because he wrote so many of them, but it was actually not David. It was the sons of Korah. And I'm just going to say the author from here on out. Whenever I'm talking about whoever wrote this, I'm just going to say the author. The author feels far away from God. And we're not told exactly why, but the author feels very, very far away from God. There was a couple of possibilities that I'd like to suggest to you. There was a time when, when the nation of Israel rebelled against God for 490 years. They were um, unfaithful. They, they worshipped idols. They, um, they sacrificed their children. Uh, all kinds of horrible things. Uh, they didn't obey the Sabbath law to give the land a Sabbath rest. Uh, God kind of built in uh, a good, uh, I don't know the uh, correct ecological term for it, but he, he, he built into the laws of the nation of Israel how to take care of the land. And they were to let it lie fallow every seventh year and just eat off of what grew naturally. But for 490 years, they, they had rebelled against God continually. And God sent the prophets to them to, to correct them and all of that. And finally, he just allowed the Babylonians to come in and take them captives. And they were exiles in Babylon for 70 years uh, to, because of their own doing. Now, was that this time? Don't know if, that, if, this, if Psalm 42 is in that setting. But it could have been that the author is far away from, from the temple in Jerusalem. And the temple in Jerusalem was where the Jewish people were commanded by God in the Old Testament to bring their sacrifices and their offerings to God. That's where you'd worship God one central location. And so the author is physically removed from that, from that place. It could have been that wicked people caused the author to be displaced. Somebody could have chased him out of town. There might have been some other kind of pressure that we're not told about, don't know. But whatever the case is, he's physically away from Jerusalem. And so he's physically away from his ability to correctly express worship and praise to God, to bring his offerings to God. He's physically away from the place where he can gather with God's people and hear the songs of praise sung to God. He's away from religious life and he feels far away from God. In the Old Testament, God established for the Jewish people only, for the Jewish people. This was uh, a dispensation, if you will, that, that the, the nation of Israel, whom God first came to, and they were to be lights to the world, they were to worship him there on his holy mount, as it's called in the Bible, in Jerusalem. First it was the tabernacle, later on the temple, more permanent structure. And so they were to worship there. But for the Christian in these days, we have it, uh, dare I say, so much better. And look at your notes here. And Jesus taught that in the future, when Jesus walked the earth during his earthly ministry, he taught that God would dwell within his people, not just his presence manifested at a temple in one place, but that God would manifest him through every single believer. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Sometimes pastors say livers of living water. 
but I'm not going to say that this morning. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. Now for the Jewish man or woman, living water was that which came out of a spring. It wasn't water that was collected in a cistern or a puddle or a lake or something like that that eventually grew stagnant, that had some other source and it was collected. But living water was that which sprung up from the earth. And so Jesus is saying in the future, we're going to get away from one place of worship and one place of gathering and wherever God's people are, he will indwell them and he will spring up within them. Remember the song we sang when we were kids? Spring up, oh well, splish, splash within my soul. Everybody, spring up, oh well. Oh, come on. We'll get to it later. (laughs) That's that idea that God dwells within his people. So in this dispensation, in the church age, we have tremendous blessing, tremendous advantage of not having to go to a certain place to worship God. We can worship God wherever we go, wherever we are. If you've said yes to Jesus, if you're a born-again Christian, you have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. But in spite of that, we can feel far away from God, right? We know that. Things can happen in our lives where, though we have this tremendous advantage, we can feel far away from God. So the author's desire here, I want to see, he's, he's in a predicament here. Look at verses 1 and, and 2, the first part of verse 2. The author's desire was for God and for God's people. That was his desire. Look at verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. After the need for oxygen, the need for water is the next most important need that we have. And physical thirst is a desperate feeling. And the Bible isn't careless about how it presents these, these experiences, these intangible experiences. Oftentimes, the Holy Spirit will lead the author to, to use a physical expression to express a spiritual truth. Now, everybody in the room knows what it's like to be physically thirsty. I'm thirsty right now. Started the day with coffee, but sometimes you just need some water too. And so the Bible expresses those intangible things with tangible expressions. So think when you're really, really thirsty, there's almost like a panic and a desperation. Have you ever felt that way spiritually? There's, there's like a desperation to be close to the Lord and to be close to God's people. And this is the condition of the, of the author's heart and soul and mind. I need to be close to the Lord. I feel so far away from him. He was thirsting for God. Now, I want, I want to point something out. We, we know here that he was uh, having a difficult predicament. Later on, he's talking about his enemies, and later on, he's talking about being far away and all those other things. We know he was in trouble, but I want you to notice something. Please don't miss it. And I'm going to paraphrase here uh, verse 1 and 2, and I'm going to paraphrase it incorrectly. As the deer pants for the water brooks, O my soul, so, excuse me, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for a solution to my problem. Doesn't say that, does it? My soul thirsts for my problem to go away. Doesn't say that, does it? What did his soul thirst for? Say it out loud. God. Soul thirsted for God. And I thought how interesting that is and how easy to perhaps miss 
that when we are struggling, there's something that's causing us to struggle. It might be outside forces, opposition from people, you know, on any level of society, work, school, whatever, soccer field, whatever. Or it might be something internal. It might be, and I, I am going to talk, and I think this idea of depression uh, can, can have external uh, causes. It can also be internal. It can be brain chemistry. It can be abuse that someone suffers as a child. It can be any number of things, betrayals uh, in adulthood. Any number of things can plunge a person into uh, a depression, and I will call it a depression, clinical or not, whatever. You're down. You're down low, and you feel it. The author here is not thirsting and panting after a solution. And I just, and it's very natural to, to say, uh, you know, Lord, I'm crying out to you, change that person's attitude towards me. Or God, give me a new job, I'm crying out to you, Lord, I'm panting and I'm desperate for a new job. But the author here says, I'm panting and I'm desperate for God. And I, guys, I think that that's probably if I may say so, a, a better target for us. If you read books like Fox's Book of Martyrs or DC Talks um, had a book that was similar to Fox's Book of Martyrs. Does anybody remember the name of that book? Jesus Freaks, thanks, thanks. Um, you read of these Christian martyrs over the centuries who could smile and stand tall as the flames uh, burst up around them as the firing squad lined them up, as they were being tortured or killed, you see these people that are not praying for solutions. They just want to be with the Lord. They want the reality and the presence of God to be so strong that they can face the executioner and pray for their executioner. And, and this is what the author is, is showing us. I want to read it again, then we'll go on. As the deer pants for the water brooks, So my soul is desperate for you, God. My soul is panting for you, for the living God. Now notice also in verse 1, he talks about water brooks. He doesn't say, my soul as the deer pants for the mud puddle. Now can can a deer stay alive by drinking from a mud puddle? Probably. But it's probably not the tastiest thing or the most nutritious thing. Remember guys, in verse 1, um, Water brooks speaks of running, clear, fresh water. And that's how the author sees God. I'm panting for God and he's like the living water, like the thing that can best refresh my soul. He's using a physical uh, picture to explain a spiritual truth and he says the best refreshment that I can get for my soul isn't that the problem goes away. The best refreshment for my soul is that I'm close to God. Guys, it's so easy and, and, I, and I know because I'm, I'm with you on this. You know, when, when life gets hard, I want the problem to go away. And then I start scheming and planning and plotting and arranging and playing chess. You ever play mental chess in your head? Well, I'll do this and then they're probably going to say that, but I'll be ready for that comeback. Or if they say this, I'll, I'll move this comeback over here and, and I'll get them back in the checkmate. No win, you know, and then I'll feel really good about everything and I'll trample them and... You know, it's like, and we play these mental chess, maybe just me, not you, but, you know, uh, you do too. I know you do. And so, you know, we, 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 we plan out how we're going to bring ourselves relief, but the, but the author here is just saying, I just need the Lord. 
The tip of the spear is in my face. I don't need to pray that the spear goes away. I need to see that Jesus is right here with me. I need to really experience him right here. Because Jesus, when Jesus is right there, guys, it puts everything in perspective, doesn't it? Everything is in perspective. You're no longer focusing on the unfairness. You're no longer focusing on the fact that you're a victim. You're no longer focusing on the fact that you did this to yourself. You're no longer focusing on the fact, why why is my brain chemistry not quite right? You're no longer focusing on the fact of why did mom or dad do that to me or uncle or grandpa or grandma or whatever. You know, you're no longer, that's no longer the central focus of your life. It's that, well, some things happen, but the Lord is here. The Lord is here. And that's, that's really what we need to pray for. Guys, guys I mean, th- think of it, you know. Uh, let's say, oh, I don't know, we're here at church and... Uh, and uh, um, I don't know, somebody falls down sick and they're having an allergic reaction. Uh, somebody, somebody gave them something that they, can't, that they can't eat and they're down here on the floor and they've come walking down the center aisle and they're like this and, uh, you know. But Jesus is sitting over in the corner over there and so quick, somebody call an ambulance, quick. So uh, uh, is there a doctor in the house? And we go, guys, <laughs> Jesus is here. It's okay, Jesus is here, right? It's okay, Jesus is here. Are you with me? We wouldn't have to call an ambulance. We wouldn't have to call a doctor. We wouldn't have to figure it out. We wouldn't have to analyze it. Jesus is here. It's okay. Spiritually speaking, for our souls, mentally, psychologically, emotionally, we need to know that Jesus is here. Lord, I need you. You're the one that I pant after. You're the one that I need. You're the refreshment for my soul. You're not, you're not the, the, the mud puddle, Lord. You're the water brook. You're the springing up live, fresh, cool, refreshing, nourishing water for my soul. And that's where our aim needs to be. And look, then look at the second part of verse 2. When shall I come and appear before my God? Once again, he says, when are you going to... He doesn't say, when are you going to take my problems away? I'm not saying that it's wrong to pray about the problems. I'm not saying that. But sometimes that's all we do. And as long as the problem doesn't go away... Listen. If your only prayer is that the problem goes away... And as long as the problem doesn't go away, you're missing out on the fact that Jesus is there because you're focused on the wrong thing. When shall I come and when shall I appear before my God? When can I get back to the place where fellowship and worship is? One of the psalmists says, I would have, I would have lost hope. And I, and I did lose hope until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord, until I got recalibrated in my thinking. Look down at verse 4. And I'm not going to go in order here on the, on the, on the verses, so, so forgive me on that. And the reason I'm not going to is because the, the, the psalmist here, he flip-flops. God is good, life's hard. God is good, life's hard. God is good. I mean, he flip-flops second and So I've kind of grouped some of these things together just for convenience sake. Look at verse 4. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. We're going to get to that. When I remember these things, I used to go down with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude. I kept the pilgrim feast. He remembers being at the temple with God's people. He misses fellowship. He misses gathering together with God's people to worship. Instead of gathering with God's people to focus on God, now he's got the voice of an enemy whispering in his ear. Guys, are you with me? 
instead of going where people are going, praise the Lord, Jehovah Jireh, he provides for us. He's just so wonderful. He's our healer. He's all of these things. Instead of being in that group of people, do you ever come to church and you just get encouraged because you're maybe watching somebody else worship or you're, a song? or this? I mean, I hope, I hope when you come to church you get encouraged, you know. That's, that should happen, you know, hopefully. And, uh, and, and he misses all of that and instead he's off by himself with somebody saying, God's abandoned you. 180 degrees in the opposite direction. He's missing being with God's people. Could I encourage you? And I'm absolutely preaching to the choir, but it's a good thing to come to church. In fact, the Bible says we should. Let us not forsake the assembling of the saints together because God uses us as we gather together. There's something wonderful about corporate worship and about hearing the word of God and talking to one another and coming together with God's people. We are the body of Christ. We're not just little individual, you know, bots of Christ bouncing around our little world. We're the body of Christ. And he misses all of that. Add to that, where is it? Verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? He's lost his appetite. Ever done that? And he's not sleeping. How do we know? Because he's crying at night. That's a, that's, that's a bad time to feel depressed, isn't it? At least during the day, you can keep yourself busy. At night, you're laying in bed thinking, life's still hard and I probably should be sleeping. And you're just laying there, tossing and turning. This is just, this is just reality. I love the reality of the Bible regarding humanity. It's a wonderful thing. Constant crying. Look at his condition there. Letter C, down at the bottom of page 1. His condition being apart from God, constant crying, a lack of appetite, lack of sleep, crying all, all night long, undoubtedly getting physically weak, which also can affect your mood and your emotions and your brain chemistry. Verse 3, While they continually say to me, Where is your God? His enemies mocked his faith and insinuated that God had abandoned him. So the author had, had enemies and we have an enemy. If you're a born-again Christian, if you're not a born-again Christian, humanity has an enemy, and his name is Satan. By the way, obviously, I mean, and, I, and I forgot to, to pray for the, the incident in El Paso. Terrible shooting there yesterday. And, you know, if you're on social media, um, I, I started to read a couple of articles that I thought were really fair because people want to get things out. They want to vent their emotions after... You know, mass shootings, really, they called it a massacre. It was very well planned and uh, targeted at, at, at Hispanics and uh, people want to get all this stuff. And I was reading an article and I thought it was so good and so fair and then, it just, and then suddenly it had to be political blaming somebody. You know what I mean? One side blaming the other and, uh, and my friends blaming this and that and Christians blaming this and that. And, and, I, and I, I thought, you know, I'm going to write a, a, a blog. You can look for it on my website coming soon to a website near you, saying, I'm joining the blame game. I blame Satan. I blame Satan. He's a deceiver. He's a murderer. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. His name in Greek is Apollyon, which means destroyer. Satan inspired that guy to take a gun and kill those people. Satan inspires believers and sometimes nudges uh, excuse me, Satan inspires unbelievers and sometimes nudges and inspires believers to be hateful and say hateful things to one another, to other people. I blame Satan. 
He's against humanity. He's against God. Look at, look at your notes here. He's called a liar, the father of lies in John 8:44. Satan communicates these ideas directly to us himself through his demons who are fallen angels or through the meanness or philosophies of carnal men and women. Also, the blame game, the enemies of our souls, telling us that God is far away from us, getting back to the author. He said, God has abandoned you. Guys, and if this has happened to you, I'm very sorry, but sometimes churches suggest that God has abandoned us too because we failed. We haven't done our best. Wrong theology can make a born-again Christian feel like God doesn't love them. Wrong theology can make you feel that God doesn't love you. That's why we study our Bibles. I never have to doubt that Deborah Jean Walden loves me. because That's my wife, by the way, if you're new to the church. Because I know her. And if we know the Lord, then we can know that he loves us, even if we failed. But if you're unsure of your theology and going more on your emotions, then the enemy, the, the murderer, Apollyon, the destroyer, the father of lies, can tell you that God has abandoned you and that's what they're telling the author here in Psalm 42. I'm not only far away from the voices that encourage me, I have the voice of the enemy in my ear and I'm down. Look at verse 10 as we jump around a little bit looking at the condition of the author as with a breaking of my bones my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long where is your God? He says the, the reproach of his enemies were like the breaking of bones. Now we all know this little nursery rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Not true. There's not a person in the room that hasn't been hurt, that hasn't, hasn't not been hurt by words. Words hurt tremendously. The reproach and the mocking of his enemies felt like the breaking of bones. May I say to you, you know, without trying to shift the focus on me too much, but just a little mini testimony, I, I've seen some pretty dark times. and I've been down in the dumps, you could say, down low. Call it depression, call it whatever you want. I've felt it in my bones. I have physically felt it. I'm sure there's some others in the room. I'm just saying this because I'm not trying to hold myself up as obviously some Christian Superman or something like that. Guys, a lot of, a lot of people go through this and some worse than others. Some, some because it's background, once again, brain chemistry, spiritual attack, lack of self-care physically or spiritually, emotionally, hanging with the wrong people, substance abuse, any number of reasons that can get a person really, really down. But I've been really, really down. And I just want to say this, and I've told Debbie before, she says, you're, you're going through it again. I say, yeah, I can feel it in my bones. Just things, not, not, a, not a physical beating. Just people. It's hard sometimes, doesn't it? It's hard sometimes. So I'm not saying all that so somebody's going to start a prayer chain for me. And Okay, I'm just, one of, I'm just one of you guys in regard. A lot of us, a lot of us can feel that. So I don't need any pity or special pats on the back or anything like that. Just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, it's okay that we admit these things. That's what I'm trying to communicate. It's okay that we admit these things. Words can, words can be like breaking of the bones. And that is what the author is going through. And you just need to understand that you don't need to be some super man. 
you know, some superhero and say nothing ever hurts because the Bible doesn't talk about its people that way. So that's the condition. Page one here is the condition and the setting of the author. And you're on the other side of the, of the page, I think, now. How do you get out of that? How do you make it better? That's his condition. What do you do about that situation? He pours out his soul within him. I think this is really interesting. He says in verse 4, first part, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. Don't miss these little things. It's human nature to pour out your soul. You know, when you're really struggling, it's really natural to want to share it and just get it, get it off your chest, as they say. Just say the words. Sometimes it just really helps. But sometimes we try to pour out our souls to people that don't care. And sometimes we pour out our soul on the world wide web. You ever done that? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> pour out your soul on the world wide web and all these people come back with uncaring, unloving remarks and they just beat you up some more. You guys, may I, may, I, may I encourage you, don't pour out your soul, you know, unless you may be asking for prayers, one thing or something like that, but don't pour out your soul in that way. I don't think it's probably a, a, a healthy idea because there's a real good chance that somebody's going to come back with a big, long, bony finger and stick it right in your face. But what does he do in verse 4? He says, I poured out my soul within me. We don't want to pour out our souls to people that don't care. We don't want to pour out our souls to people that are indifferent. We don't want to pour out our souls necessarily to people that are going to give us bad advice or judge us. So where's a safe place to start, hopefully? Well, he says, I'm going to pour out my soul within me. How might God minister to us if we keep some of these heartbreaks to ourselves? I'm not saying be strong and silent and like a, you know, a marble pillar and never share anything with anybody. I'm not saying that. But I am saying this. The author here starts with, with taking some, uh, a little self-examination of himself and just kind of talking to himself. Now, there's kind of a bad way to talk to yourself. Don't go around talking to yourself. <laughs> You know, I'm kind of joking a little bit here, but you know what I'm saying. You, you know, you hear the phrase, that guy's beside himself. What does that mean? He's, well, he's having a conversation with somebody that's not there. I'm not talking about that. He's, he's talking to himself. And, and Lloyd Martin, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones put this, puts it this way in his book called Spiritual Depression. He says, don't let yourself talk to you. You talk to yourself. Because when things happen... What's the first thing that talks to you? All your emotions. Or all your fears are talking to you. Or all your bad history is talking to you. Or the enemy is talking to you. Or your lack of faith is talking to you. All these other things are talking to you. And Lloyd-Jones says, and I believe the, the author here in verse 4 is saying, no, don't let those things talk to you. You talk to them. You talk to say, okay, Faith, I know that you're kind of shaking right now, but, but hang on just a minute. Just get over there and chill out a little bit. Okay, fear, uh, God has not given me a spirit of fear, so you just kind of escort yourself out the door. Okay, a uh, person who was abused, yeah, those things happen to you, but hang on a little bit. God's a healer. He starts talking to himself. He pours out his soul within himself. He counsels himself. There is a time and a place to talk to a counselor, a wise, godly person, absolutely. But can I encourage you guys, just because you feel it, okay, don't lose this one. This, is, this might be the best one of the whole day. Ready? Just because you feel it doesn't mean you should say it. 
It might be better just to go find a vacant lot and just scream. You know, the birds and the squirrels aren't going to criticize you. But just be careful where you pour out your soul. But the psalmist here talks to himself. He, He is, besides the Lord, his own trusted confidant because he knows that he is on his own side. Look at verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself. The soul is the emotions, the psychology, the fears, the faith, the dreams, the aspirations, the disappointments, the memories, all those things. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? David counsels himself and chides himself and he asks himself a very searching question, two questions that demand consideration and response. He's not letting himself get off the hook. He's not gonna, he, David's not going to say, and I'm saying David here, I told you it happened. The author is not going to just say, well, I feel bad and I'm just going to keep feeling bad and everybody just has to accept me for that and I'm just feeling bad and that's just the way it is and life isn't fair and I'm just, I'll feel better if I ever happen to accidentally feel better. He's not doing that. He's not giving in to his emotions. He's not denying them, but he's not giving in to them. He's saying, okay, now come on, self. Hey, you in the mirror, listen to me. You know, He's talking to himself, and he asks himself two very important questions. Why are you cast down? Why are you disquieted? Now look at your notes, if you will. Look, and these are the definitions of these phrases. Why are you weakened? Cast down. Why are you reduced? Why are you brought low? Why, why are you despairing? Once again, remember our, our little uh, hypothetical scenario here. Somebody's in the church and they just ate something they shouldn't eat and they're having uh, a seizure or they're having uh, uh, an allergic reaction and they're down here on the middle of the floor and we're all freaking out and everything like that. But Jesus is over here and he's just kind of going, I'm here if you need me. And, and, he, and we ought to say to him, why am I despairing? Jesus is right there. Jesus, would you put your hands on this man and heal him? Sure, of course I will. So the the author, the psalmist, is talking to himself. Why are you weakened? Why are you reduced? Why are you brought low? Why are you despairing? Well, you also could say, well, because these people are against me. That's true. Why are you despairing? Well, because I'm far away from the place of worship. That's true. But why are you continuing that way? Why aren't you hoping in God? Why why aren't you expecting that he's going to do something good for you? And if our God is for us, then who can ever stop us? We love to sing those words, but sometimes we don't believe them. We don't believe them. We sing lies and we make up little stories. Yeah, yeah. We need to believe these things. That was, I just do that to get you guys' attention. That's a little preacher trick. Why are you, why are you, why are you despairing? You're not hoping in God. You forgot God. Yeah, yeah, your emotions are huge. But don't forget God. Look at the second part. Why are you disquieted? It means, I love this one, to murmur, growl, cry aloud, be troubled, or rage or roar. I like the last one especially. That's, that's the middle of the field up on Westwood Hills. <laughs> Just letting it out, you know. Why are you roaring? Because it feels so good. What did it solve? Nothing. You go to work on Monday. Why'd you lose your voice? Oh, nothing. <laughs> I've been out roaring all weekend. <laughs> that I, I love. I love the. 
the honesty of the word of God. David asks himself, David, the author asks himself, why, why are these things there? The answer would be, once again, because I'm far away from God. But he can bring you back. Why are you feeling these things? Because people are breaking my bones with words. Yeah, but God can heal you. Are you guys with me? We get half of the equation right. We analyze the problem, but we totally forget the solution. And we just kind of marinate in the problem. It's, it's easy to do. David took counsel within himself. He reflected upon the truths that he knew about God. He was guided by the truths of God rather than by his own emotions. The answer is, verse number seven there, have hope in God. Please follow along. Anticipate that the opportunity will again come to worship him. Anticipate uh, that the help of his countenance would again take place. Look at verse five. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you roaring within me? Okay, soul, this is what you need to do. Soul, you need to hope in God because you will praise him again. And soul, you need to remember the help of his countenance. Countenance is the face. It speaks of kind of the brightness or the brilliance of the face or or a downcast face. Have you ever had a friend uh, you've been kind of down and then they show up and you look at their smile and you just feel encouraged just because of who they are. Their face, their countenance cheers you up again. And the author here is saying, I'm going to hope in God, I'm going to praise him and I'm going to quote unquote see him and when I see his countenance, it's going to cheer me up again. I'm going to experience God again. I need to remember that, that this thing is not going to last forever. You heard the, you've heard the phrase, and it came to pass. I told this story a, a couple of years ago. Somebody, somebody asked people in the church, what's your favorite verse? And one man stood up and said, and it came to pass. And the, and the preacher said, well, why is that your favorite verse? He said, it came, but it came to pass. <laughs> and this is going to pass. This thing is going to pass. And when you're so, so low like that, you have to ask yourself, no, why are you letting this... We can't, we, can't, we can't help but how it initially affects us. And I'm not talking about that. What I am talking about is when it starts pushing us down and holding us down. That's when we need to talk to ourselves and say, come on now. Bill, have hope in the Lord. Have, have hope that when you come to church and Joe's leading worship and you're sitting next to your wife in the front row and it's so hard to worship that just focus on the Lord and focus on the Lord and then one of those songs is going to break through and cheer up your heart and, and recalibrate your thinking and by the end of the worship service and by the end of the teaching service and by the time we're done fellowshipping here, I'm going to walk out a better man than when I came in because of the countenance of the Lord. Amen, guys? That's what has to happen. We can't stay in that place. It's like saying about God, I know when I see him, I'll be okay. I'll be okay. Look at, look at verse 6. Not only does he talk to himself, but he talks to God. Verse 6, oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. So he's honest with the Lord. He says, Lord, I'm not doing well. But what else does he say in verse 6? Therefore I will remember you. 
from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill of Mitzar. It's very interesting, guys. He says, Lord, I'm not doing well, but I'm going to remember you. And those locations are far away from Jerusalem, geographically. I'm going to remember you even though I'm so far away. And some of us here today might be saying, I used to love reading my Bible and I, now I can barely pick it up and it's so hard to get to church or I just I have no hope in my marriage anymore. Or whatever the case may be, you're far away, but you can remember the Lord from far away. You can still remember the Lord from far away because that's what the author's doing. He's saying, God, I'm really down, Lord, but I'm going to remember you. Once again, he's counseling himself. Look at your notes, if you would, please. The Apostle Paul spoke of the intense spiritual battle that takes place in the mind. Dear brothers and sisters, so much of this takes place in our minds. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5, though we walk in the flesh, though, you know, we're, here we are in our bodies, we're walking in our flesh and blood and bones, we don't war according to the flesh. That person says something, you want to you know, poke them in the ribs. That's not how we deal with it. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, wrong thinking, places where you have patterns of wrong thinking and wrong emotions and continued lack of faith or whatever the case is. Those, those weapons cast down arguments and high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's what, that's what the author is doing. I'm far away from God. The enemy is saying, God has abandoned me. I feel it in my bones. But God is bigger than this, and I've got to remember that. He's just talking to himself. And he's not allowing himself to continue on. Look at verse 7 and verse 9. Deep calls unto the deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. It talks about the repetitive nature of just, if you've ever been at the beach caught in a riptide, you know what I mean? It just keeps pounding you and pounding you and pushing you under over and over again. That's what he's saying. This, this trial is just not stopping. He says in verse 9, I will say to my God, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Once again, he talks to God, but he's just being very human. He kind of goes back and forth, doesn't he, throughout the psalm. And I appreciate that too because so do I. (laughs) Good days, bad days. Good hour, bad hour. Good minute, bad minute. Good five seconds, bad five seconds. It It can change so quickly. I appreciate the honesty. He ends by talking to himself again. Verse 8. He's talking to himself. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. He's assuring himself. Notice again. God's going to send his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the nighttime, what happens at night when you're depressed? That's when it's really hard. Can't sleep, crying on your pillow. Notice, God sends his song. He sends a prayer. The author offers up a prayer to the God of my life. He's talking to himself. 
He consoles himself. Verse 11, very similar to verse 5, except a little bit different. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise, yet praise him. And here's where it's different. different. The help of my countenance and my God. Verse 5, he says, when, God, when I see the countenance of God's face, and we see the countenance of God's face in faith, our souls experience the presence of the Lord. His countenance helps us. But here in verse 11, the psalmist says, he's the help of my countenance. Have you ever known someone going through a terrible trial, but then you see them and their face is glowing? And you think, well, how can that be happening? Don't you know how sick you are? (laughs) Don't you know how bad it is? I heard that you're just going through this terrible time. I'm so sorry. Why do, you, why do you look so joyful? Well, I saw his countenance and seeing his countenance has helped my countenance. <clears throat> Dear friends, the, the Bible is not a, a self-help book. Self-help can help a bit but can't really touch the deeper things that God can touch. And right here, the solution, um, the psalmist says it over and over again. The author says, I will hope in God. He doesn't say, I'm going to hope for a solution. We should pray for healing if we're physically sick, but he doesn't say, I'm going to pray for a healing. He doesn't say, I'm going to pray that my enemies get converted and become born-again Christians. (laughs) He doesn't say that I'm going to pray for my boss to get fired and get a new boss. He says, I want to see the Lord. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full, say it with me, in his wonderful face. And the things of earth, say it with me, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Set, next, set Jesus next to anything and it grows dim. And this is what the psalmist is saying. Guys, you don't need any counseling at all. And, and, and counseling can be very good. I've given a lot, I've received some. Counseling can be very good. It's good to have a trusted friend. But you don't know you need anybody at all to be mediator between you and God in order for you to feel close to God. You just have to say, Lord, I'm thirsty. Jesus made it so simple, didn't he? If anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. It's just so simple. Simple in in the sense of it's not complicated. It's hard in the sense of it's hard to shut off our brains. It's hard to turn off the emotions. But if you have especially a prolonged thing, maybe turn off everything around you. Get alone with the Lord continually and repetitively and say, Lord, I need you. God, I need you. I need you every hour. We're going to um, worship the Lord a little bit more. We're going to have communion together. The elements are here at the tables. And if you could come down just for traffic flow, come down the center aisle and then go back up the side. And fortunately, with the chairs, we can spread them out a little more. There's a little more room 
to get uh, yourself through the aisle. Um, in the first century, Jews would never have lunch, <coughs> share a meal with a Gentile because they didn't like Gentiles, non-Jews. But to share a meal was a sign of the deepest kind of friendship. And so they would never share a meal with an unbeliever because it would, it would say to the world that they were joined to that person. The night before Jesus went to the cross, they sat at the Last Supper and he shared a meal with his disciples. Every one of them would run away. Judas would betray him. Peter would deny him. But Jesus said, you're my friends. And he shared a meal with them. And so communion is for Christians. If you're, if you're not a Christian and you want to say yes to Jesus today, and if you just, if you just simply want to say, Lord, I, I'm, I don't know everything about you, but I, I, I'm convinced that I need you, then partake with us. Come and receive. If you're a Christian today and, you, and you're saying, I haven't been doing very well, I've been blowing it, this and that, this is a perfect time to have communion. So tell the Lord, God, you know, sorry. Cleanse me, forgive me. And let me share this meal with you, Lord. And I pray that as we just have a couple of songs to close our service together, that you experience the Lord. The words will be up there, but sometimes that can be a distraction. If, if it helps you, wonderful. If it's a distraction, close your eyes. Whatever it kind of takes right now for you to just say, Lord, I'm desperate for you. Let me pray for us. Thank you so much, Lord. Your word says that if we will draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. And we confess, Lord, and we acknowledge and recognize there are so many things that can keep us keep our souls from getting close to you. And so help us, Lord, to realize the goodness of being close to you. Lord, we pray for ourselves and we pray for those around us this morning. Undoubtedly, Lord, there's just in a group this size, there's hurting people, we know that, scared people, fearful people, discouraged people, disappointed maybe right on the edge of hopelessness even, maybe right on the edge of despair, maybe roaring in their solitude. But you meet people, Lord, in all those conditions. Thank you for that. And so, Lord, others of us are, are not in a, a roaring condition, but we, we want to draw near to you. We want to just say thank you. We want to acknowledge our need for you. So as we worship you, Lord, we pray that you do what you do, Lord, with our souls, our fragile souls, Lord. That you'd meet with us and encourage our hearts. Help us not to be afraid to, to be honest with you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.